Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I decided to revisit the Monsterverse. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I watched another Oscar nominee, and I started a new sitcom that I've been meaning to get to for quite a while. I'll review Minari and Superstore. Plus, an exciting new trailer was released featuring one of the most popular cinematic bad guys of all time. We're just two weeks out from the Oscars, so I checked out another Best Picture nominee this week. A Korean-American family strives for the American dream in Minari. We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're going to lose the crop. The movie is in both English and Korean, so there's a lot of subtitles, but it's not all subtitles. Minari stars Steven Yoon, a.k.a. Glenn from The Walking Dead, as Jacob, Yuri Han as Monica, Alan S. Kim and Noel Cho as their kids, Eugene or sorry, Yu Jung Yoon as Monica's mom, and Will Patton as the farmhand. And it's set on a farm. Jacob and Monica buy this small farm property in Arkansas in the early 80s, moving there from California. And Jacob tries to grow some Korean vegetables and become a farmer. Monica, much less into the whole thing. Certainly not impressed with that they're in the middle of nowhere and living in a trailer on wheels with no running water. Jacob soon learns that farming is not easy, even with a local character played by Will Patton helping him out, lending him his expertise on farming in Arkansas. The kid's not loving life either. It's very remote. They don't really know what to do with themselves. The young boy, David, gets most of the screen time as far as the kids go. He also has this heart condition, and mom is more than a little worried that they now live an hour away from the nearest hospital. David also forges a relationship with his grandma, who has just moved to America from Korea. She's quite the character. They're all quite the characters. That's the strong suit of the movie. The story is interesting, but there's no real plot other than me worrying about poor David's little heart. The movie has this sense of realism to it as far as the family goes with their struggles and their relationships with each other. The acting is top-notch right across the board. Steven Yoon and Yu Jung Yoon are both nominated for Oscars, and if there were kid Oscars, the boy would definitely be nominated. He's very impressive in this. He was only seven when they made it, and he carries a lot of the movie. Weirdly enough, though, Will Patton is not nominated for an Oscar, but he's clearly the one actor in the movie who seems to really be going for an Oscar nomination. He's uh, just going for it in a way, you know, they, they in the same way that they talked about in the movie Tropic Thunder. It's very broad, but many times it's also very effective. So I'm not really sure what to make from his performance, other than he seems to really believe he's going to get awards attention out of it. So Minari, it's a small character piece. There's always one every Oscar season. It's uh, very winning in its performances. It looks great. It showcases an aspect of society, farming, that we don't see a lot of in movies. So I, it's good stuff. I'd say definitely check it out. Four couch cushions out of five for Minari available on video on demand for 20 bucks. As for the greater awards pitcher, Yu Jung Yoon just won the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actress. That's the Screen Actors Guild Award this past week. So she may be the front runner for the Oscars now. It might be the only Oscar the movie picks up. It is nominated for six. The other big SAG awards went to Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as well as Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. And with Davis's win, that really opens up the Best Actress race at the Oscars because now four of the five nominees have won a major award. So it's sort of anyone's guess at this point who's going to go home with the Oscar there. Bozeman and Kaluuya keep winning the 
other acting awards. So they're the clear front runners there. And the Best Ensemble SAG Award, which is its version of Best Picture, went to the trial of the Chicago 7. Now, it needs to be noted that Nomad Lad was not eligible because it's not an ensemble-type movie, apparently. So it's still the Oscar frontrunner by all accounts. And, Brett, speaking of Nomad Land, My mom says that you're homeless. I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. Nomadland is finally available in Canada, out this weekend on Disney Plus Star. The movie stars Frances McDormand. We'll play another clip of her from a different movie later in the show. I'm very excited. In Nomadland, though, she's a van-dwelling modern-day nomad who wanders across the American West taking jobs where she can. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who's been winning all the directing awards. And while the movie's been winning most of the Best Picture awards, it certainly appears to be the Oscar frontrunner. I think in the end, it might be a bit of a shame that we're going to have to watch this one at home. I know in some limited release fashion in some markets, this movie's been playing on IMAX screens just because of all the scenic camera work, but we take what we can get at this point, and that means Disney Plus Star. I'm excited to watch Nomadland, and I'll uh, have a review of that one next week. And speaking of Disney Plus, we are only halfway through season one of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus, but they want to make sure that momentum keeps barreling ahead, and this week, Marvel released the official trailer for the next TV series, Loki. I know what this place is. The timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Tom Hiddleston returns as the god of mischief. Thor's brother, who, as you recall, and spoiler alert, he died at the beginning of Avengers Infinity War. But in Avengers Endgame, when they went back in time to steal the Tesseract, that's the magic blue box that allows one to travel through space in an instant. He stole it from them and disappeared. And now he's facing some consequences. We protect the proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique low-key perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. Owen Wilson joins the MCU as one of these time cops and sends Loki on an adventure to fix the mess he inadvertently created and is now trapped in a crime thriller. You're not big on trust, are you? You can trust me. Loki, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. Why never do it again? So Loki debuts June 11th on Disney Plus and will run for six episodes. Can't wait. There are three more episodes still for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, so I guess that'll be over by the end of this month. And then we'll have a few weeks off for Marvel. But in the meantime, we'll have the Star Wars show, The Bad Batch. That makes its debut on May 4th. 
aka Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you before its regular uh, episodes will air on Fridays after that. So looks like Disney, they have now, I, I guess it's part of their master plan to always have something new and something nerdy <laughs> on Fridays, right? Between Marvel and Star Wars, they've got Fridays oh, yeah. nailed. They're doing a good job of uh, keeping people with, you know, keeping their subscriptions. Like, remember when season one of Mando came out, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'll get Disney Plus for a month and then I'll get rid of it after Mando's over. But now uh, nobody's going to want to do that. I do like, um, I like that Loki's coming back. I do not like it, though, when characters die and then they bring them back to life. Like, that's a slippery slope. If they're going to do that, all the time, then when characters die, it has no meaning. But uh, I will allow it in the case of Loki just because he's so much fun. Yeah, he really became sort of one of the breakout stars of, if not the breakout star of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, well, maybe not the breakout. In the early going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he, and he actually auditioned for the role of Thor. Did you know that? I I may have known that at one point, just what, not enough muscles, I guess. I, I don't know. I've, maybe they just decided, you know what? You'd be a better Loki, and that was the best decision because he oh, truly yeah. is one of the best villains. Uh, but one of the problems, of course, and this is sort of a hallmark of the Marvel movies, is most of their villains were either just not good villains or they were actually too likable, right? Like <laughs> You never yeah. really believed that Loki was a bad guy. You know he's bad, but you like him. So the good kind of bad, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Just that, like how you root for the Sopranos in the Sopranos. Right? <laughs> That's we're right. All mobsters, but we're, we're we're on their side for some reason. <laughs> so I can't wait to see this once again. Debuts June eleventh on Disney Plus. Up next, I went back into the MonsterVerse. I'll tell you what I thought. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and with the recent release of this, who bows the who? Nobody goes stop the me. Kong bows to no one. Godzilla versus Kong. I decided to make my way back through the Warner Brothers MonsterVerse. Now, by the way, impressive box office numbers for Godzilla versus Kong. Domestically, $50 million over the five-day Easter weekend. And worldwide, it's made nearly $300 million dollars. Very impressive since we're still in a pandemic. Sadly, most Canadians did not see it on a big screen, and who knows when we'll get back to the movie theater since the vaccination effort is taking too long here, and you know we're blowing it when the U.S. issues a warning to Americans not to travel to Canada. Anyway, that's all for that. I, I just miss going to the movies, okay? I know there are bigger problems, but we're the couch potatoes. We like going to the movies. Uh, we did get a sneak preview from Warner Brothers. You can rent the movie, premium video on demand for 25 bucks. The movie made $3 million, by the way, in Canada. So a lot of Canadians watched Godzilla vs. Kong. It's fun. And we'll circle back to that in a moment. But I went through the, mon the uh, MonsterVerse, as said. Starting kind of went out of order. I started with 2017's Kong Skull Island. What the hell is this place? That's Kong. He's king around here. Kong's pretty good king. Keeps himself mostly. Well, you don't go into someone's house and start dropping bombs unless you're picking a fight. I'm King Kong. Beat my fist and chest. <laughs> I forgot about this song. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember where I found this tune. Anyway, I watched that movie 
before Godzilla vs. Kong because I just wanted to reacquaint myself with Kong and Skull Island. And, uh, I mean, we, we talked about it last week, but I think that's my favorite of the first three movies. It's sort of fun and campy. Uh, the CG is so, so good. Like, you believe that Kong is a real entity, that the Titan is right there in front of you. Samuel L. Jackson was hamming it up quite nicely. John C. Riley, as you pointed out, stole every scene he was in, but he added a lot of heart as well. He wasn't just there for, you know, sort of comedy and chicanery. Like, he, his character was great. So Kong, Skull Island... Tremendous film. And it reminded me that I actually like Brie Larson. I do not like her as Captain Marvel. And not because uh, there, there was a, a massive like hatred campaign for Brie Larson. And I, I, don't buy, I don't care for that sort of stuff. I just didn't like her as Captain Marvel. But this movie reminded, her, reminded me that, yeah, you know what? She's actually a really good actor. So it was nice to see her uh, do something cool in this. Then I watched 2014's Godzilla. This is what caused everything in the first place. Don't you see that? And it is going to send us back to the Stone Age. You have no idea what's coming. Brian Cranston... He has a short role in this movie, but so, so important. And this movie is not great, but I still enjoy it every time. I don't know what it is about it. I just find it uh, almost hypnotic. I just, whenever it's on, if it happens to be on TV, I'm watching it. But uh, I pulled this one up. You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, Kong Skull Island, by the way, you can't watch that. You got to rent that one if you want to watch it. It's not available on any streamer which sucks because Godzilla is on Netflix as well as Godzilla King of the Monsters. Our world is changing. The mass extinction we feared has already begun and we are the cause. We are the infection. But like all living organisms, the Earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. God, I said it was a snore fest, and even its trailer was <laughs> kind of boring. <laughs> but uh, you know what? It actually turns out I was wrong. It wasn't completely a snore fest. Long live the king. Now, that's available on Netflix, although I watched it on Blu-ray, the one that Warner Brothers sent us that I guess you lent to me, <laughs> but I've just hung on to it. Um, but uh, it turned it's actually a 4K Blu-ray, so that was a nice surprise. I didn't oh. re realize that it was 4K. I, quite, I enjoyed it way more the second time around. Maybe it's because my expectations were too high. But I will say this about those first two Godzilla movies. They take themselves way too seriously. And the Screen Junkies released an honest trailer this week for Godzilla vs. Kong, which did not take itself seriously. And wow, did they nail the whole thing. You've been moderately pleased by all the legendary kaiju movies so far. Now, tune in for another bad, sober, good-with-a-buzz installment of the sloppiest franchise running. 
where character and timeline continuity is more of a suggestion. Featuring characters they forgot to mention were related, characters they forgot to mention entirely, and characters who forgot they discovered the Earth was hollow in the last movie. The vortex was a tunnel into the hollow Earth. Doesn't matter, I knew I was right. But one thing remains constant. Absolutely no one watching gives a about any of it. Now make with the monkey fights. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's the stuff. <laughs> and that's what Godzilla versus Kong did so well, I thought. They just, it had a lot of silly human stuff, but for the most part, they just got on with a smashy smashy. So I recommend Godzilla versus Kong. I gave it four out of five. You gave it, was it three out of five, Jeff? Yeah, three out of five. I was just going to say, I agree with everything you said. And like, I can't even remember what happened in those two Godzilla those first two movies so when they said we don't care what happens just get on with the fighting that's true because you can't remember what happened in them anyways up next jeff's going grocery shopping we'll explain you're listening to the couch potatoes welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brett and i'm always looking for a bingeable sitcom brett that's my comfort food usually i just re-watch an old favorite but this week i started watching a show i had never seen before nbc's recently concluded Superstore. Thursday, Superstore gets a whiff of trouble. You don't think people in this store do marijuana? Probably. Like, half. Wait, half do or half don't? It's both. Both? New Superstore, Thursday on NBC. Superstore is a workplace comedy where hijinks happen all the time, and there's a roster of interesting characters. Specifically, Superstore was a show about employees at a giant big box store like Walmart. Most are not terribly dedicated to the job because the job is not particularly fulfilling to them. And the show literally ended its six-season run two weeks ago. And now that I've finally seen some of the show, I'm actually kind of bummed that I didn't watch it all along. And I got to say, I was not expecting that. From the outside, there's the fact that it's set in a big box store, which is just plain depressing. And there was just something about this show that made me think it was going to be kind of, meh, whatever. And I know I'm not the only one who thought that, but it is a tier above that for sure. I would say a lot of the Chuck Lorre sitcoms are meh, and the ABC family shows can be as well. But Superstore veers a little bit closer to the classic stable of NBC sitcoms, and most notably The Office. Um, there's a dumb manager. There's a militant, overzealous assistant to the manager. There's an angelic slacker type who can do no wrong, but also considers himself above everyone else. There's a fastidious newbie with some weird underlying competitive and anger issues, and so on and on and on. Uh, there are a couple of other characters that don't have direct comparisons to The Office, but not many. Also like The Office, obviously it's a workplace comedy, but unlike The Office, you get this added benefit of having customers walking into the place, so they have a greater license to sort of introduce any manner of outside influence they see fit, which, uh, you know, can lead to a lot of th good things creatively. And I don't think I've ever seen a show set in a big box store before, so within the parameters of the workplace comedy, the show does have some unique qualities there. But of course, the only thing that really matters is, is it funny? And the good news is, for me anyways, it is. By episode three, I was laughing out loud quite a bit. Now, it's not quite at the level of the great sitcoms of recent years, but it's closer than a lot of other shows like, say, Life in Pieces, which I thought was trying too hard to be Modern Family. Superstore is trying to be its own version of The Office, but more often than not, the seams are better hidden and it feels like its own thing. I think it's on a tier that is in between the greats of like 
Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, 30 Rock, How I Met Your Mother, Martin Family, and the meh kind of shows like Big Bang Theory, The Goldbergs, Life in Pieces, all shows I've watched multiple seasons of, but either fell off because they just got stale or I watched them to the end, but I never really felt too attached to them. I would have watched Superstar every week. I would not have let episodes pile up on the PVR like I did for some of those other shows. I burned through the uh, 11 episode first season very quickly. I'm well into season two now. It won't take long to go through all five seasons that are on Netflix. Eventually, season six will pop up, I imagine. I think I'll probably return to it again for a rewatch in a couple of years. I've been enjoying it that much. Uh, It's been in the top 10 on Netflix a lot lately, so I know I'm not the only one who's been disappointed discovering superstore if you haven't seen it i do highly recommend it four couch cushions out of five for superstore it's a very easy watch i laugh a lot it's just uh it's a it's a great uh kind of you know as the pandemic wears on it's a good way to kill a lot of time brett and isn't the manager mark mckinney from the kids in the hall it is mark mckinney from kids in the hall did you say that already I did not. Okay. <laughs> I neglected to, I actually thought after I wrote my notes, I was like, oh, I got to mention that. And I forgot to add it in. He's making, he, he's pulling a weird voice, question mark. The voice is definitely out there. I don't know. I don't think it's his regular voice. No. I honestly can't remember what he sounds like. No, it's not. It's, uh, yeah, he, it's kind of a high-pitched sort of uh, yeah. weaselly voice, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it in that clip there. Okay. okay. I was wondering because I was like, well... With kids in the hall, you're never really sure. <laughs> Sometimes, like, are they serious or are they joking about that? <laughs> <laughs> that this is one of those shows that I wish I watched from the beginning because, well, now that it's on streaming, I might go back and yeah. watch it from the beginning. But it was just one of those things where once you you missed it out of the gate, I guess I could have jumped in anytime. It's easier, I find, to jump into a sitcom sort of Absolutely. through the series. Yeah, but uh, I, I I don't like to to watch shows like that anymore. If I'm going to watch a show, I want to watch it from the beginning. And this yeah. one, I remember when it first debuted, I think I actually blew it off. I thought that looks stupid, in spite exactly. of the fact that it has a, that solid cast. Like America Ferrera had a very success that very successful uh, Ugly Betty show on ABC. Yeah, uh, and. The guy that's like Jim on The Office is played by Ben Feldman, who was uh, on the last couple of seasons of Mad Men. He's a really good actor there. Oh. And uh, another guy that's in it, is, his name is Colton Dunn. He's a very funny actor. He was uh, on Parks and Rec for a recurring character on that show as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I need to be able to watch stuff that has more than 10 episodes. I need to let go. I seem to have developed, especially in the last year, I seem to have developed an aversion to committing to anything with more than like 10 episodes that are available. Which is which is weird because pre-streaming, we would watch I don't know, a couple of dozen shows on the regular basis back when, you know, when there was a regular September to May kind of TV schedule, like in February we'd have 20 shows that we were each watching. Weekly, I, but I think the thing there is is that we we would only get those one that one new episode every week, right? Like if you're watching That's a show true. on ta- on TV, you watch it when it becomes available. Whereas if I suddenly start watching Superstore, how many seasons are there? Five. Okay, so and I, they're all four of them are twenty two episodes each or whatever twenty four episodes, and the first one, like I said, just eleven episodes. Yeah. So the the completest in me. The OCD in me would make me want to like finish, so I would suddenly feel like I've got this 
thing hanging over my head. Like it's, it's, it's become a task as opposed to something yeah. I want to do because I, I know that I would just want to binge through the whole thing and it would become exhausting. Like when I did the, when I went through the crown, uh, when I, cause so I had not watched that, but in anticipation of its fourth season, I watched the first three seasons. So I spent two to three weeks watching nothing but The Crown. And at first I was enjoying it, but by the end it just felt kind of like a chore. <laughs> and I wanted to get on yeah. with something else. Anyway, I acknowledge that I'm neurotic and I need to figure that out because I still have <laughs> well over a dozen episodes of The Walking Dead that I apparently need to get to because one of my, one of my buddies says that... Uh, the bat, well, one of the bad guys, Negan. I actually don't know what his status is on the show, but they finally did his origin episode. So Ooh. I have been waiting for that because I kind of, and I won't spoil anything, but I, I read a very minor spoiler about his origin comic issue. So I wanted to see how they translated that to the TV screen. So I need to get on with it and I need to be able to let go of this fear of tackling anything that has more than six or 10 episodes or whatever. But I've, I've also, and, I kind of like these sort of like six to eight episode shows where it's, it, it, that's it, it's done. Or, the, or yeah. you got, then you got to wait for another season for uh, next year. And with all the success that Disney's Plus has been having with uh, Mandalorian and all these Marvel shows, apparently there are a lot of rumblings around the other streamers that, like, like at Netflix, where you know they drop the whole season at once. That uh, they might start, we might start seeing a lot more shows coming out one episode per week, kind of style, just because you know, because Disney Plus is, you know, when the Mandalorian's on, people talked about the Mandalorian for. 10 straight weeks or however many episodes it was, yep. as opposed to when you dump one episode, you get one weekend of, you know, being the big buzz and that's it for a whole year. So a lot of shows I think would like to go back to, well, let's just do one episode a week. We could shoot them all at once, but just release them one a week. Yeah. I think Netflix, Netflix would definitely benefit from that. It is nice to have the option to binge something. Like when they launched the latest season of Ozark, I went through that in, Record time for me. I think I was finished the season by Saturday afternoon. It came it came out on Friday. I started watching it Friday afternoon, and I finished it Saturday afternoon. So that was nice, but I've already forgotten what happened because I consumed yep. it so quickly. And people, as you pointed out, they talked about it very briefly and then moved on with their lives, moved on to something else. So Netflix, I think, should re-examine uh, its binge philosophy, at least for its big, big shows. You know, maybe maybe not everything, but maybe pick some big ones and uh, go with a staggered release or split. Yeah. Split the difference Do uh three episodes a week over three or four weeks or something. See if it makes a difference to them. Oh yeah. And I know that prime, for example, they will often with their new shows, they'll sometimes they'll debut two, even three episodes of something the first day. And then it's one episode a week for the rest yeah. of the season. Like they did with that, that with the boys, I think two or three episodes were released on the first really day. really hook people. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. So they want, they want you to, to get addicted thinking, oh, I can binge this. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's not available. I have to wait. What do you mean I have to wait for a week? And in a moment, when you told me that there, there was an anniversary for this movie, uh, part of me died inside because I knew that I, I had to listen to you talk about it again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we'll get you to like that. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. 
Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and one of my favorite movies, Fargo, hit a milestone this week. So that was Mrs. Lundegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice and the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? For a little bit of money. There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? And here you are. And it's a beautiful day. Marge Gunderson's speech to Gare Grimsrud at the end of Fargo, just terrific. One of my favorite parts of the movie, although I'm pretty sure I'd say every scene is one of my favorite parts. This week, the Coen Brothers Masterpiece celebrated its 25th anniversary, so I just had to take a minute to mention that because, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. Fargo's an amazing combination of comedy and crime drama resulting in its own unique blend of tone and genre. The cursing and violence, of course, will have a peg as a crime drama, but you never think of it in the same genre as, like, Goodfellas or something. I've seen it dozens of times, and like all Coen Brothers movies, the more you watch it, the better it gets. You know how you sometimes wish you could go back and see a movie for the first time again. That's never the case with the Coen Brothers, because you never really get it the first time. I think Fargo, maybe of all movies, period, listening to that clip, has the biggest distance between just how good the good guy is and just how bad the bad guy is. Marge Gunderson is the epitome of good, and Grimsrud, played by Peter Stormare, is pure evil, just a dead-eyed monster who kills without feeling. Uh, that's my newest thought about the movie. There's always something new that pops up every time I watch it. I also think it's one of the very few movies that portrays Winter on the Prairies accurately. You can really feel the cold when you watch Fargo, but it also has its own beauty and not the fake kind of snowy beauty you see in Hallmark Christmas movies. I mean, they also shot parts of this movie about a half hour from where I was born and raised, so that's definitely part of the reason I enjoy it. If you've never seen it, definitely check it out. It's uh, If it's been a while, check it out again. You'll like it even more than you did last time. It's not streaming on any of the big streamers you'd have to rent it or try to catch it on cable sometime and brett 1996 was a terrific movie year two more of my all-time faves came out that year but we're gonna have to wait until november and december for my anniversary segments on the english patient no! and jerry mcguire and it's gonna happen i might take like a whole eight minute segment to talk about the english patient why won't it's you so what does elaine say just die why won't you stop, die? Stop telling your story and just die already. <laughs> stop <laughs> telling your stupid story. And sorry, this I think I was screaming over it. What was the second movie? Jerry Maguire. Okay. That one's okay. Okay, I, I will confess. I have never even seen The English Patient, so I cannot oh. comment on whether or not it's a good film. I take your word for it. And I was I know I made the joke about you talking about Fargo again, but <laughs> I've, I've got The Matrix. You've got Fargo. It's it, right. Fargo's your favorite, favorite film, isn't it? It's when people ask me what's your favorite movie, it's the one I always say. I mean, some days it's not my favorite, but most days it is my favorite for sure. And for some reason now, like we're in Winnipeg and Fargo is what, two and a half hours away? Yeah. Three hours away, something like that. Once the border, in the event the border does reopen someday, I'm going to take a trip down to Fargo because in the visitor center for the city, the city's visitor center, they have the wood chipper from the movie. <laughs> Just sitting there on display. You can get your picture taken with it. Really? I need that. Yeah. Oh. Does it have... Isn't that amazing? Does it have blood I, on it? I, I, I don't know if it's got fake blood on it or not. <laughs> I am almost ashamed that I haven't watched this movie in a long time. It came out 25 years ago. I bet you it's been 20 years since I've it's watched Fargo. And I loved it when I watched it. And so as a young, I loved it as a, a younger man. So now that 
we've been doing this show for like 15 years. Yeah. Like to think that has imparted just a, a tiny bit of wisdom on us that we know a little bit more about movies than we did back then. So I'm sure I would and love it. And and I always enjoy Coen Brothers stuff. And it'll be like it's at the point now, like the page has turned and uh, Francis McDormand and um, Steve Buscemi and what's his name? Uh, William H. Macy. They're all, they. you know, when you watch Fargo now, they all look considerably younger, which is just... That's I'm having a hard time reckoning with watching my favorite movies, but all the actors just look so much younger in them now. No Country for Old Men. There's a movie I haven't watched in a long time. There was one that, that one. I found kind of disappointing. I think it was meant to be more of a comedy. Brad Pitt was in it. Burn After Reading. Yeah. George what? Clooney. Yeah. Francis McDormand again. Yeah. What do you think of that? That one's good. That is a it is a comedy. It's very silly and uh it's one of those Coen brothers like to put their characters through the ringer. Like they're just like just killing people for no reason. And it's just like, well, I like that guy. Why'd you kill him? You know, but they don't care. They're just, they're just like the devil like that. And, uh, burn after reading has got some of that. And then it's also got, I don't know if you remember, uh, George Clooney was building something. Mm-hmm. He kept talking about the thing he was building and then they finally showed what it was and it was the most insane thing you could ever imagine. We can't even describe it on the air because we'd lose our license, but it was, <laughs> it was one of the better laughs I've ever had at a Coen Brothers movies. Okay. And as good as you mentioned Peter Stormare, as good as he was in Fargo, I think I still like him best in Armageddon as the lonely cosmonaut on the <laughs> space right, station. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a little unhinged. He's he's great in, in, no matter what he does. Comedy, drama, no. villain. Like if he plays a mean villain, he's one of the best character actors I think there is. And I think you can trace his success back to Fargo. Like Fargo's when people really started taking notice of him. And I mean, Armageddon was probably casting later that year because that movie came out in 98 so yeah i'm sure i'm sure fargo helped him and uh, steve buscemi both get into that pitching oh yeah that's right look at that maybe i'll watch fargo and then armageddon back to back that's all the time we've got i'm brad he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother